message out to us. Morning, everyone. Um, If you're using the Blue Bibles, it's on page 863. Okay, so I'm reading from verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He, did, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Good morning. Would you pray with me as we come to God's word? Father, we ask simply that you would minister to us by this word and that uh, you'd send us away from here encouraged to keep living for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week in uh, John chapter 4, Ben Wong took us through this masterclass that Jesus shares uh, in personal evangelism. If you missed it, I uh, uh, strongly recommend you look it up and listen to it on our church website or Ben will be repeating his talk at our evening service uh, in a couple of weeks' time, 28th of May. We saw the start of this story with Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well and how Jesus is so intentional with her sharing about himself. He's willing to uh, cross and even break some boundaries. He engages with her, he finds common ground and then he moves the conversation on uh, to not just talk about interesting things but personal things. Things that uh, make her personally want to be captivated and and drawn to, to him. And by the end of the conversation this woman is left wondering whether Jesus just might be the saviour of the world. Now, if you're kind of interested, if those um, strategies and ways of engaging with people kind of pique your interest, our church camp this year is actually going to be about those sorts of things, about uh, helping to equip us all in relational evangelism to help us to be better at uh, sharing what we believe with the people around us just through our everyday interactions. 
We've got uh, Belinda Lakeland coming to share with us. She uh, goes to church down in Wollongong, uh, works at Epping at the association. And she's the uh, Baptist Association's evangelism consultant. Uh, she's great value. It's uh, incredible that we get to have her with us for the weekend to pick a brain and for her to share. And so um, I think it's very exciting. It's definitely worth you making the time to come uh, to get help and input in this area of your discipleship. Where we pick up the story from this morning is the tail end of the exchange between Jesus and this woman. And, well, with this woman, she's, she's just about to go, actually. She's, she's heard all that she's needed to hear. She's quite encouraged by this conversation. She's about to hurry back uh, to town to, to talk to other people about it. And Jesus' disciples, they've just come back from the town where Jesus has sent them to get some supplies. See, Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way back home to Jesus' hometown in Galilee. They've been, they've been away, they're heading back into Jesus' home territory. And en route, they seem to have run out of food, they seem to have run out of supplies, and they're at this village, this town of the Samaritans, and so Jesus stays at this well outside of town. He sends his twelve into town to get some things for them to keep going, you know, buy some lunch. And so when the twelve get back to Jesus... There he is having a chat with this strange woman, a stranger. This apparently socially different thing uh, to what they expected Jesus to be doing. Remember, this is the Near East and back in the day, even perhaps nowadays, the relationship between men and women, uh, there's boundaries about uh, who you can talk to, they're outside of your family, uh, certain contexts that you're allowed to talk to women and men in, in public. Jesus has crossed one of these boundaries in being in conversation with this woman. And his disciples notice it's a bit odd. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Uh, Maybe they figured Jesus knew better, uh, knew what he was doing or just didn't have the guts to quite pull Jesus up on this one. It's a bit dangerous to do that sort of thing with Jesus. You never know what he's going to say, do you? Now, this story with a woman, it resolves from verse 28. Uh, the woman, having then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way towards him. And if you skip down to verse 29, we get the conclusion of this episode, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So first this thirsty woman, she leaves her water jar at the well, forgets what she came for because now she's got, I guess, bigger fish to fry. She's met Jesus. She goes back into town without water, but with the news, I think I found the Messiah, God's chosen king. And that sort of uh, exclamation, that sort of news would have made some sense to the Samaritans because they apparently shared and had enough of the Old Testament in common with the Jews that they knew someone was coming. That God had promised to send someone, a saviour, who'd changed the world. 
So a whole bunch of people from the town, from her town, come out to, to see Jesus, who she's really excited about, to see if he's really as impressive as what this woman has told them. They invite Jesus to stay with them a couple of days, and in that time, Jesus gets to speak with them and no doubt do some miracles amongst them, and he shows them, shares with them, so much so that many more of them begin to put their trust in Jesus for themselves. They say, you see it there, we no longer believe Jesus just because of what the woman said, We've seen and heard for ourselves and so we really know that he is the saviour of the world. This miracle-working man of God spends two days with these people and the Samaritans recognise that he is the saviour of the world. And this story ends really quite positively. You get the impression that uh, while the Jewish authorities back in Jerusalem were questioning Jesus' authority, Uh, and questioning who he was, his legitimacy, everyone else seems to be starting to see it. The Samaritans see it. The people he's healed start to see it. They get the fact that Jesus is good news. And they're coming on board. But what we find sandwiched between the ending of this story is this little mini-devotion that Jesus shares with his disciples. Uh, in, In between the minutes with the woman running into town and all the people coming back out again, what we have is... Um, I don't know exactly how long it would have taken for, for, for the woman to get back to town and back. You'd need a map of the place to see how far it was. But in the short time between the woman going back to town and calling everyone back out to, to see Jesus, Jesus has this short word with his 12. And it's this little devotion that I want to share with you, I want you to focus on this morning. Because Jesus here says some rather unexpected and unusual things. Now, the 12 disciples, they've missed the whole episode, really, with Jesus talking to this woman. They were, they were in town. They haven't seen his evangelistic intent. They haven't seen any of what was taking place. And as far as they know, it's a bit odd that Jesus is talking with this woman. But she's run off now, and Jesus has asked them to go into town. To buy, uh, they, they went into town to buy supplies, like what Jesus said, and now they're back with some food. And so they say to Jesus, verse 31... Meanwhile, Jesus, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Was it the woman who just left? Did she give him something to eat? If you had food, Jesus, why did we go into town to buy things? What's going on? Now, uh, Jesus keeps going, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples say to each other, could someone have brought him food? They, they don't really know what's going on here because it seems a bit strange that they've just brought lunch for Jesus. They're saying, eat some food. And Jesus says, look, I've got food that you don't know anything about. They're thoroughly confused. Jesus uh, seems to do this to them time and time again, maybe when usually he's trying to teach them something important. And maybe he's trying to make it memorable for these uh, 12 by coming out of left field a bit. The disciples, you can't blame, they're thinking about tangible, edible food, like what they've just paid for in town and what they're bringing to give to Jesus to eat and swallow. But Jesus is talking about something completely different. He says, verse 34, My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now we eat pretty much every day if we can help it. 
right? unless you're on some sort of strange diet because you've eaten too much and your doctor says to lay off a bit. But we eat every day pretty much to sustain ourselves and to get energy that we need uh, for, for life, for living. Uh, there's all sorts of different and complicated reasons why some people eat. There's stress, there's pleasure, there's addiction, maybe it's part of some cultural celebration. But on a basic level, food sustains you and you know it. It keeps you going, gives you the energy to live the lives that you do and to have the vitality that you have. It's, it's input that fuels your outputs. So it's a bit odd to hear Jesus say that his food is to work, to do the will of God who sent him to finish his work. You think working will be the opposite of what food does for you. Because work drains energy, doesn't it? It makes you tired. It uses up the resources that you have. But for some reason, Jesus says, my food, what energizes me, what sustains me and vitalizes me is to do the will of God, to do his work. It's not a drain. It's a, a fountain of nourishment. In what sense can doing work feed you? You might have experienced this before. Uh, you might have been part of something where you've invested yourself and your energy into some good work that really satisfies you. Work that might have been hard physically or emotionally draining, but you actually feel sustains your soul, something deeper. There's this unique joy that comes with walking with Jesus in obedience. So that even when the road's hard, because you know what you know you're doing what God's intending for you to do, you tap into his strength, into his spiritual resources that you had no idea about before. It's what some people call uh, the joy of ministry or this, this joy of serving. You might have bumped into it, uh, volunteering in ministry roles as part of different teams or leading different things from time to time, perhaps even in periods of your life where uh, you've been really stretched because you're trying to live for God in circumstances where there's so many challenges and there's opposition. But as you do that, as you fight to remain faithful, it's then that you recognise it's God who's holding you up and giving you what you need to stand. Or on the flip side, have you been in the unfortunate situation where uh, you've lost sight of what God is doing and what, you're just not doing what you think God... I'll start that again. You've been in an unfortunate situation where you lose sight of God's purposes for you in what you're doing. You just don't know what, what God has planned for you in what you're doing in your day-to-day. -day. Or maybe you're out of work for a period of time, um, not by your own choosing. Or you're entering into a stage of life that you're a bit uncomfortable about, that you don't really... Uh, you don't know what's around that corner. And before long, you start feeling really flat, don't you? When you're, when you're drifting. And stagnation is not good for us. From the beginning, we were made to work, to attend the garden, to subdue it under God. And I think what Jesus is introducing his disciples to here is this attitude to work and ministry and life where it's obedience to God that sustains you. It's obedience to God that sustains you in your day to day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And not just to hear the words, but to obey them. 
to do them. God, doing God's will is how you really live. For, for Jesus himself, uh, he has a very specific mission, one that will take him, well, it will take his life to finish it. It will take him all the way to Jerusalem, uh, to a garden in Gethsemane, where even as he's sweating bullets, he's praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so he's sustained to continue on to finish the task. I wonder if you've experienced that before in, in your life, not so much through the, the easy years and the seasons where it's uh, maybe more pleasant, but in the tough times when it's been on the line and you've had to hold on to find Jesus and, and God resourcing you where there's nothing left. Now, uh, as Jesus continues to teach his disciples, uh, you know his work is unique. His going to give his life as a ransom for many is not something that, I guess, his disciples can emulate. But his attitude to what he's doing, I think, is what he's trying to show and teach his disciples here. He says, my food is to do the will of God who sent me to finish that work. And if his disciples have any doubt about the kind of work he was asking them to do, he answers that for them if you keep reading. Verse 35. Don't you have a saying, Jesus says, it's still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now I'm imagining as he's saying this, Look at the fields, they're right for harvest and, and right there in front of them the disciples would have seen, looked up and seen a crowd of Samaritans coming through the fields to them. Crossing the fields because the woman from before has gone and told them to come. And so they have this powerful visual sort of uh, accompanying what Jesus is saying as they see this crowd of people from town come to Jesus and you know a ton of them come to find life in the Son of God. Continues in verse 36. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Again, it's an agricultural picture that Jesus uses. The work is sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping, but not... Uh, sowing and reaping wheat or corn or some other produce, the crop is people. People who are headed for eternal life. And they're well ready, Jesus says. Someone's already gone and done the hard work. Someone's already gone and prepared them for this moment. There are plenty of low-hanging fruit ready to drop off that tree, if you, if you know that phrase. If you just give the tree a little bump, a little shake, people are ready. Share the good news with people who are so ready to receive it and you know what happens? If the timing is right, it's easy, isn't it? If God's been at work, despite of you sometimes, in, what someone else's, in someone else's life and all around them, all it takes is for a little shake of that tree and they're ready to give themselves to our Lord. We have no idea what God has been doing in the lives of these Samaritans in the town who came out to Jesus. Who knows what's been happening for them before Jesus and his disciples got there. But the impression you get 
um, from the last part of this, this story is that heaps of them respond to Jesus over the two days that he spends with them. Maybe there were lots of people in that town like the broken woman at the well who needed, who was thirsty and who needed transformation and living water. Maybe God, through a bunch of circumstances in the history, had given this town a real thirst and a real openness to him. And it's almost like Jesus is preparing his disciples to understand the work that they're about to do in this town. This town is going to be incredibly fruitful uh, in terms of the work that Jesus is doing. Lots of people are about to put their trust in Jesus. And he points out it's not because the disciples have worked particularly hard for it, but because of other circumstances. Other people have shown, have sown into the situation to allow this rich harvest to happen that's about to happen. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day who does what. Uh, some reap, others sow, and in the end, both are just happy that the crops come in. I wonder, even as you think about yourself, whether you are a reaper, whether you know someone who is, you know, someone who's just really effective in bringing people across the line, so to speak, to find eternal life in Jesus. Someone like a Billy Graham or a Steve Chong even, who sees person after person after person giving their lives to Jesus. Thank God for good reapers. And he has given the church some of them. And if you are one of them, you're a wonderful gift to God's church. And I think the best thing we can do for you is to just let you do your thing. Or maybe you're a sower. Maybe you know, you're the person preparing the ground, scattering the seed, dropping the gospel here, there and everywhere as you bump into people left, right and centre as you invest in what might one day grow to be a really fruitful crop by the grace of God, depending on the soil that it lands on, really. Hang in there. Be patient and faithful and creative in your work as you work to love and serve people this way. I suspect behind every great reaper, there are tens, hundreds, if not thousands of great sowers doing hours of work to pray and to, and to prepare people to receive the gospel. Keep going, even if everyone around you looks like an unlikely Samaritan. Keep going. Or maybe you're not in the game at all. You're not reaping, you're not sowing particularly, and for you, the challenge might be to see the world as Jesus paints it here. As being this harvest field where the stakes are high, and where eternal life is on the line. This is where the action is at. Whether you see it or not, and whatever else you're doing, this is the work of God that sustains and energises the people who are part of it. And if you've never been on the cutting edge of what God is doing in our world, what he's begun in Jesus, what he continues to do even now, if you're not aware and you're not involved, I think you're missing out. Maybe you were involved once, but for whatever reason, life's gotten you busy and you're investing in other things. Come back. Come and get back into this good work. They'll make your soul glad.
and I'll make you a blessing to the people around you. And if you're not sure how to get started, might I suggest that you take the opportunity even today to talk to someone about it over morning tea, you can come talk to me. And we can get started talking about your mission landscape and the opportunities that are before you. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you've given a wonderful gift to our world in your son Jesus. We thank you and praise you that your purpose is to save. And we ask, and we guess we pray that you would help us to see that our world is ripe for harvest, that there are many who are thirsty and hungry and aching for a change. Please help us to recognise what we might be able to do to contribute to that work. Help us to be willing to put ourselves into that space. Whether our work is the slow, patient work of sowing seed or maybe the more obviously fruitful work of of reaping and, and, and bringing people into your kingdom. We ask that whatever it is, you'd help us uh, to get involved, to get excited about what you're doing in this world, to change lives and to bring all things under the Lordship of Jesus. Thank you for the life we have in your Son. Thank you that it's good. And we ask that you'd be working in us to allow us to be generous with other people. We ask in Jesus' name. Thanks, Johnny. So we've heard this morning, I guess, the importance of um, being able to um, understand God's will, understand God's plan for our world, to bring um, all things under the headship of Jesus for people everywhere to recognise that Jesus uh, is the Saviour. And um, I guess the importance of being able to understand the part that we can play in that reaping and sowing of people coming under his Lordship. Uh, We're going to close by singing a song, I guess along the lines of what we've, um, we've heard of. And the way that that passage finishes sort of struck me where it says, when, when the Samaritans come and say, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We're going to sing a song called uh, You Alone Can Rescue as we recognise that Jesus is the saviour for the world. So please stand as you're able and we'll close our time together in song. <clears throat> See you.